And so, Lord God, we pray that you would um, take our hearts, seal them for your courts above. And Lord God, I ask for a miracle. I ask that you would help us to preach, that you would help us bags of dust to talk about you. In fact, maybe you would even be the word that we speak, Lord God. I think we can ask that in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit. Amen. First Timothy chapter, chapter 4, uh, verse, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, the latter days, kind of seems like that now, latter times, some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, many folks think that has something to do with Led Zeppelin and Harry Potter books and Pokemon cards. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will renounce the faith, pay attention to deceitful spirits, and the doctrines of demons through the hypocrisy, hypocrisy, that's like putting on an act, an act of, of pseudologon, the act of liars, false words, pseudologon, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciousness consciences are are seared with a hot iron so what do these people do throw wild parties with lots of eating and drinking and probably sex no verse 3 they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods which god created to be received with thanksgiving what these teachers of demonic doctrines do is cancel thanksgiving now Listen very closely. If you canceled a large family dinner on Thursday due to concerns over COVID, that's not only fine, I think that's probably really wise and good and very loving of you. That's a loving thing to do. But if you outlaw fasting, and particularly if you outlaw giving thanks, that's satanic. I once counted, there's something like 80 days of this is crazy, but including the Sabbath, there's like 80 days of commanded fasting in the Old Testament. And you know how many days of commanded feasting? One. The Day of Atonement, which we now celebrate on Easter with a feast. Deuteronomy 14, Israel is commanded to gather in the Lord's presence, take 10%, think about this, 10% of the gross national product and spend it on, quote, now I'm quoting Deuteronomy, whatever your appetite craves, oxen, sheep, wine, or strong drink, then, quote, eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. Seems a bit irresponsible to me. But I didn't write the Bible. Verse three, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, Whew. and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer, everything, everything, everything. Now if you're a preacher, this is one of those verses that sticks in the back of your head for for decades as you silently wonder, is this supposed to be in the Bible? 
Am I supposed to talk about, about this? Was the Apostle Paul maybe, I don't know, a bit drunk when he wrote this? This is one of those Bible verses banned by Bible-believing believers, and yet banning this verse appears to be a satanic doctrine. So anyway, anything received with thanksgiving is sanctified. That means it's made holy. Only holy things can enter the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary, the sanctuary, which is the presence of the age, the age to come, the age when everything is good and it is finished. Heaven is holy and happy and all good. Things received with thanksgiving are made holy by God's word, writes Paul. That's the word through which God creates and sustains all things. Everything created by God is good, writes Paul. Ephesians 3.9, God created all things. Wow. Genesis 2.7, God created Adam. So, is Adam good? Yeah, guess so. Genesis 2.18, it's not good that the Adam should be alone. So did God create loneliness? Guess not. Adam, which means man or humanity, is alone, but he's obviously not alone because he's in the presence of God, who is love and who is the good and is Adam's azer. That means his helper. Eliezer means God is my helper. It's also transliterated as, as Lazarus. The, whole, the Bible is all about how God is our helper, but Adam doesn't know his helper. Who is the good? and the life. In, in other words, he doesn't trust love, and so he is alone. Adam doesn't have knowledge of the good or faith in love, which is life. So God created trees, and particularly one tree in the middle of the garden. You know this tree. Is that tree good or evil? Adam didn't know. Do you know? How could Adam know? Well, everything created by God is good, and God made everything, but clearly some things are bad, or went bad, which I think means evil. But anything is made holy by the word of God and prayer whenever that thing is received with thanksgiving. Not taken, but received with thanksgiving. Eucharisto in Greek. Thank you in English. Just a word. Eucharisto. That's thanksgiving. Whether you eat turkey with relatives or not, that's thanksgiving. And not only is, is it an, is an option, it's, not an, it's a command. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God, that's a good free will, the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, Eucharisto. His will is a word that like rises on your tongue 
Thank you. One word in Greek, eucharisto. Eucharisteo is the imperative, give thanks. Imperative tense, speak the eucharisto. So, so we don't have to understand it. See, that's what's kind of cool about this. We don't have to understand it. We just have to, to do it. People always want God to tell them. I mean, they're asking me, what, what does God want me to do? People always want to know, what does God want me to do in any given circumstance? Well, he's telling you right here, in all circumstances, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. For what, we ask? Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always and for everything. Paul definitely sounds drunk right here. Maybe he is drunk. Drunk with the Spirit, and yet this is still a command. Give thanks. So let's do it, all right? Um, I'm gonna stop talking for a couple minutes, and then whether you're here or you're watching on home, either silently or out loud, I want you to just start thanking God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. Go. Okay. Now I'm going to start talking, but even as I'm talking, you're supposed to keep thanking always and for everything, okay? You don't have to understand, but maybe I can help you believe, help you believe that God really does want us to thank him always and for everything, and that when we do, always and Everything is actually sanctified by the word of God in prayer, for we receive always and everything with thanksgiving. <laughs> so, did you uh, thank God for, for good things? You know, if you thank God for your thanksgiving turkey, for instance, aren't you saying that you didn't make the turkey? or the money that bought the turkey, or the energy with which you worked to earn the money that bought the turkey, you're acknowledging that the turkey is a gift. It's grace. Charis in Greek. If you thank God for your house, you're confessing that we didn't earn the house. If you thank God for your kids, you're confessing, well, you actually didn't make your kids, and you don't deserve your kids. You don't earn... Well, maybe you deserve your kids, I don't know. But you didn't earn your kids, all right? Your kids are a gift. Romans 4, 4. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. If you thank God for a thing, you are perceiving that that thing is a gift. If you think you deserve a thing, you'll discover that you don't own, actually, actually own that thing. <laughs> 
that thing owns you and you're a slave. That's why rich people are often miserable people. It's because they don't actually have anything, but all their things have them, and so they haven't really made anything except idols. In the Old Testament, all sin is depicted as idolatry. A man makes an idol, then believes that the idol makes him, which is a sneaky way of believing that he made himself. And so he is his own idol and a slave to insanity. A man makes a fortune and then believes that the fortune makes the man, which is believing that he is a self-made man, which, which means uh, that he believes something entirely illogical that, that he made himself. If you think you actually have a house because you deserve that house, if you think you actually own a house, a car, and a bank account, that bank account, that car, and that house own you. But thanksgiving destroys idols and creates worshipers. When you thank God for a thing, it transforms that thing from an idol into a temple at which you worship our God who has everything and freely shares everything with you. And so you'll be much more likely to share it with your neighbor and realize that you're not alone. So thank God for the good things you have. In quotes. And now, um, how many of you thank God for good things that you don't have? Do anybody thank God for good things that you don't have? Yeah, one, per one person, that's good, two people, yeah. Oh, the moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. Stars belong to everyone. They shimmer for you and for me. Well, what if you did own the moon? If you had the moon, well, you'd probably get mad at your neighbor and crash the moon into your neighbor's house and everything good would suddenly uh, go bad. There are several great shows on TV now with that very premise. Superheroes with superpowers, but not super hearts. One of them actually crashes the moon into the earth in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Great show, you should watch it. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 3.21. All things are yours. So you actually do have the moon. And yet you do not have control of the moon, but maybe one day you will when you have a new heart. So we're each like a child that has all things. And dad says, everything that's mine is yours, but no, you cannot have one more chocolate be before bed. Now go to bed. 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is, is God's. Thank God for every good thing. And well, maybe it will create a new heart in, in you, a, a sanctified heart. So thank God for every good thing. But how many of you now thank God for a bad thing? Do any of you thank God for a bad thing? <laughs> yeah, you guys did. That's good. How about pornography? Now, I know that not everyone would agree, but I honestly think that the greatest physical beauty in this world is not a, a beautiful sunset over a tropical beach. 
It's a naked woman on that tropical beach. So is a naked woman bad? Or is it the way that I, Peter Hyatt, look at that naked woman that's bad? I've discovered that if I, if I look and think, oh, that's evil, I better not let anyone know I'm looking, I'm more likely to keep looking in a way that's evil. But if I look and say, oh, God, she's, she's beautiful. Thank you, Lord God, for this daughter of yours that you made and died for and loved with all your heart. Thank you. Then I'm more likely to look away. I'm also much more likely to thank God for my bride, who was stunningly beautiful at 18 in a bikini, and yet upon reflection is even more beautiful at 60, for I see a beauty that I couldn't have seen when I was 18. And then I, I thank God for that beauty. And I thank God that I still have the first beauty because God will make all things new and I will inherit a beach. Yeah! I do have all things. But with thanksgiving, I discover that those things no longer have me. And I see that my wife is not just a thing, and I'm no longer alone. How about drugs, like alcohol? Remember when Jesus said, as often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me, and he gave thanks. I've often wondered if he didn't only mean the communion cup, but every cup that contains alcohol, or maybe any liquid, but at least alcohol. You know, when I drink alone in sorrow, shame, and fear, I have a drink, and then that drink may soon have me. But if I say, oh, God, thank you for this delicious Cabernet, we drink it together. I have a drink, but the drink doesn't have me, and I have communion. That means everything is holy, and I am so no longer alone. Communion. See, maybe cars become holy, houses become holy, women become holy, and wine becomes holy with just a word that rides out on my tongue, Eucharisto. That's a good decision to say thank you. So how many of you thanked God for your good decisions? Couple, that's good. But this is where it becomes tricky, doesn't it? Are good decisions something you make? Because if they are, then you wouldn't normally give thanks for them, right? Are good decisions something you make, or are good decisions something that makes you? Scripture has a name for good decisions, and, and that name is righteousness. So are you self-righteous, or is righteousness a gift, and so you give thanks? Other biblical words for good decisions might be faith, hope, or love. So do you make good decisions or do they make you? Now at this point, modern Americans love to talk about free will. But they talk about it in a way that's different than the way Scripture talks about freedom, and so it kind of always confuses me. But I've learned to ask folks this, because I'm not actually sure what they mean. Is free will a thing? And if it's a thing... Did God make that thing? If God created that free will, it's a good thing. And so you must be grateful for that thing and not proud of that thing. You didn't make it that thing that makes other things, so be grateful. 
be thankful. And if God did not, if God did not create that free will, then it is the uncreated creator, right? Because God did not create it. It's an uncreated creator, which means faith, hope, and love in you is God making decisions within you, and righteousness in you is actually Christ within you. So be thankful and never proud. But if you think God did not create that free will and you deserve credit for that free will, then you must believe that you yourself are the uncreated creator. And you see, the moment that you begin to think that way is the moment that you begin to slip into the darkest illusion and find yourself utterly alone. For you have become your own creator and therefore the creator of your own reality, and that's insanity. Another way to say this is, Whenever I'm proud, I'm alone and insane. But whenever I'm humbled, I'm exalted to the heavens. If someone says, Peter, that was really an awesome message, and in my heart I think, yeah, <laughs> I deserve credit for that message, I experience a rush. And then immediately a terror, thinking, oh God, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that, and I don't think I can do that again. My conscience is seared, and I find myself speaking lies, pseudo-logon, and enslaved to an act, hypocrisy, and an act that I pretend is me. You, you know what that's like, right? But if in my heart, and even out loud, I say, yeah, that, that message was awesome. It was a miracle! was an absolute miracle. God spoke through me. Wow. Thank God. Then I'm free. And I'm happy. Corey Tenboom used to say that when people complimented her after a message, she, she, would, she would picture herself um, receiving this bouquet of flowers. She would smell the flowers, and then she would hand the flowers to Jesus, saying, thank you, Jesus, for letting me smell your flowers. Thank God, then. Thank God for every good decision. But, but how about bad decisions? That's called sin. I don't think you actually can thank God for bad decisions because God didn't make them. God makes everything, Ephesians 3, and everything God makes is good, 1 Timothy 4. If that's true, it would mean that bad decisions haven't actually been made. <laughs> they don't actually exist. We only think they exist. Now that totally sounds crazy, right? But maybe it's not so crazy. Maybe sin only exists in the way a, a, like a shadow exists. A shadow is what it is not, right? A shadow is the absence of light, we're the light. Death is the absence of the life. Lies are the absence of the truth. To be lost is the absence of the way. I mean, maybe we live our lives kind of like this. It's your shadow. running from our own shadow. So maybe we cannot thank God 
for darkness because it doesn't actually exist, but we can thank God for the experience of the absence of light, for it makes us long for enlightenment. It makes us long for the light, right? So maybe we can't thank God for our sin, but we can thank God for having experienced the absence of his will, which is the light of the world. St. Paul wrote, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God is grace, and sin is the experience of the absence of grace. The experience of the absence of grace makes us long for grace, and I believe that's called faith or hope or maybe love. So through the experience of our bad choice, God reveals his good choice and creates his good choice in us. You ever thought about that? Through our bad judgment, God reveals his good judgment and creates his good judgment in us. Like Richard Rohr says, we don't really come to God by getting it right, but by getting it wrong. And we know that it has happened because we say, thanks. In other words, the one forgiven much loves much. I think there's a story about that somewhere in the Bible. And we love because he first loved us. So maybe technically you can't thank God for nothing. For Timothy 4, God, thank, thank God for everything. And nothing is to be rejected. So maybe you can't thank God for nothing, but you can thank God for the shape of the nothing, which we call a shadow. But the moment you thank God for the shadow, it becomes something else. If you happen to thank God for nothing, it immediately becomes something. That's the power of Eucharisto. Maybe Paul couldn't thank God for darkness itself, but he could thank God for his shadow. He could thank God that he was the chief of sinners. And if I remember correctly, I think he even uses the present tense there. But he could thank God that he was the chief of sinners. But the moment he said, Eucharisto, the light revealed that he was in fact the apostle of grace. And so in the very place that he was not God's person, like he talks about in Romans, he suddenly becomes God's person. Maybe Peter couldn't thank God for denial itself, but he could thank God that he had denied Christ, for it revealed that Christ did not deny himself or Peter, and that Peter was the rock, not because he chose to be, but because God chose him to be. Maybe sin is not a place where you have chosen evil so much as a place where you have not yet chosen the good. For you have not yet seen the good. But when you see the good and receive the word of grace in that place, your nothing becomes his something and you become who it is that you truly are. The image of love. And never, ever, ever alone because you say thanks to grace. Have you ever tried to thank God for your selfishness? I was trying this the other day. <laughs> and the moment I try to thank God for selfishness, I just hate my selfishness and I reject it. And I genuinely long to love. It's like the light shines, the shadow flees, and I see who I am. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you thank God for confusion, I think that's called faith. If you thank God for your trials and your, your sorrows, well, I think, I think that's called hope. If you thank God for your weakness, don't be surprised if you will witness the power of Christ resting upon you. If you thank God for your afflictions, you can expect an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare, to, to quote Paul. 
If you accidentally thank God for a little bit of nothing, don't be surprised if it turns into a whole lot of something because you just spoke a word in Jesus' name. You spoke it into a void, and Jesus is the name through whom all things are created. Describing her famous vision, Julian of Norwich wrote this. Sin itself, she talks about all this stuff Jesus showed her, and she said, sin itself I did not see. For I believe that sin does not have its own substance or any form of being, nor can it be known except through the pain it causes. And, and your sin did cause Jesus real, real pain. She then describes how that pain makes us know ourselves and ask for mercy. And then she heard Jesus say, yes, it is true that sin is the root and cause of all pain, but all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Right before that, he said, sin is necessary, but all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Anyway, Paul says, thank God for everything. And that might even include the shape of nothing, for nothing becomes something with the word of thanks. In other words, it becomes holy. So thank God for good things. Thank God for bad things. Thank God for good decisions, even bad decisions. Thank God for yourself. Because what is a self? Isn't a self like this weird mixture of good stuff and bad stuff and good decisions and bad decisions? And you can't sort out all the decisions. You can't sort it out. So anyway, did you thank God for yourself? That's good. Because if you don't thank God for yourself, maybe you believe that you made yourself. And so of course you can't enjoy yourself or you don't actually have a self, but your false self has you. You're imprisoned in a lie about yourself and unable to be yourself and act speaking false words. If you don't thank God for yourself, you must think that you made yourself. In other words, you are your own idol. You think that you are your own uncaused cause. You're insane, dreadfully alone, and certainly not free. And so right now, if you can hear these words spoken into your void, say, thank you, God, for me. Thank you for saving me from my old self. You see, that's actually your new self that's talking. Understand, each of us has an old self and a, and a new self. I don't think there's anybody that has only a shadow. Something has to cast the shadow. Each of us has an old self and a new self. You're a mixture of good things, bad things, good decisions, and bad decisions you can't sort out. You're like a field of wheat and weeds, weeds that look like the wheat, so you can't root out the weeds without rooting out the wheat. You have to surrender the whole field to the judgment of God. Whenever you give thanks, you expose yourself to the judgment of God, for the judgment of God is grace. To say thanks is to acknowledge grace and to surrender to grace. That's why people have trouble saying it. Thanksgiving purifies good decisions, for you see that each decision is grace, and thanksgiving obliterates bad decisions, for you realize that every bad decision is nothing that turns into something, and that something is you. Just by saying thanks. Your false self is destroyed. And your true self, your eternal self, is born. The one for which you are eternally grateful. So thank God for yourself. Bad decisions, good decisions, your false self, your true self. In other words, expose yourself to grace, and it will give birth to faith and hope 
and love. Thank God for yourself, and then you'll find it easy to thank God for your neighbor. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself and discover that you are so very, very, very not alone. The grace that's in you is also the grace that's in your neighbor, even though they look different. And that's because the shape of their grace matches the, the contours. The contours of the grace matches the contours of their individual and unique sins, just as the uh, contours of your grace matches the contours of your unique and individual sin. I mean, you're like two members of one body with this river of amazing grace flowing through the both of you. And you're not alone. So thank God for good things, bad things, good decisions, bad decisions, yourself, your neighbor, and thank God for God. For God is the good. Jesus said God alone is good. And yet God is not alone. Why? Well, because he shares himself. He gives himself away. God is good, and through Jesus, he gives himself away and fills all things. He will be all in all, writes, writes Paul. Thank God for the good, but should you then thank God for evil, the evil? We saw that through our bad decisions, God reveals his good decision in us. Bad decisions are our decisions, but evil simply isn't our decision, right? COVID wasn't your decision. You could argue that Adam chose death, but how could Adam choose death if death wasn't an option? Why did God even make it an option? Should we thank God uh, for death? Should we thank God for evil or the experience of evil, which must be the absence of something profoundly good? Should we thank God for the snake? Should we thank God for hell? Always and for everything give thanks, and it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, we're walking into some really deep water here, <laughs> and all of my comments are going to be totally insufficient, okay? But we don't have to comprehend everything. We just have to give thanks for everything, and even the shape of, of nothing, and we will be comprehended. We will be sanctified. That's what it says. Remember Jonah last week? Jonah 2.2. Out of the belly of hell I cried and you heard my voice. Verse 9, he ends his prayer with this. But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation, Yeshua, belongs to the Lord. God is salvation, not Jonah is salvation. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Both Jesus and Jonah use this word for belly that is normally translated womb. Jonah was saved by the word of God, and God used the belly of the whale, the womb of Sheol, the womb of hell, to do it. The earth will give birth to the Raphaim, the ghost, the dead, prophesies Isaiah, so should we give thanks for the womb? And what about death? In the Revelation, the death of death is eternal life. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, that Christ, quote, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If it weren't for death, I don't know that you'd recognize life. You certainly wouldn't recognize the resurrection and the life. You wouldn't say thank you for Easter. And what about the consuming eternal fire? Well, our God is consuming fire and his word is fire. Every time you say thanks, you invite the fire. 
You even speak the fire. That's the fire that fills the temple, and that temple is you. It's how you are sanctified. And what about the snake? So snakes are made by God, so I expect them to be made new. But what about the Satan that infected this snake? Well, if Satan was made by God, I expect him to be made new by God. But if Satan wasn't made by God, then he will disappear. And it will be revealed that, that he never had any substance in himself. He was a shadow, a shadow used by God for what? To reveal the beauty of the light. Paul writes about giving people up to Satan. You read these verses? They freak people out, but pay close attention. He talks about giving people up to Satan for the destruction of the ego, the destruction of the flesh, that so that they might be saved on the day of the Lord. That means that Paul believed God used Satan to save people from death and hell. You know, Satan, I, I've, I know this actually from experience. Satan is not impressed if you burn Harry Potter books and Pokemon cards. But if you thank God in Jesus' name, that word on your tongue, it burns Satan like fire. Because it is fire. It burns the hell in which you are imprisoned, fills the temple that you are, and sets you free to love, which is life. Eternal life. Well, if God uses sin, death, hell, and even Satan to save us from evil, what is evil? Well, maybe it's that very first thing that God referred to at the start of the Bible. It's not good. I, th I think that's evil. That Adam, that an Adam means mankind, remember. It's not good that Adam, that any Adam is alone. Evil is the absence of love. God is love and love is never alone. God is saving you from loneliness. Another way to say that is God is creating you in the image of love. And he is love. And so God placed a tree in the middle of the garden. And on that tree, he hung his heart. There's the tree. Can you thank God? For the tree. The first Adam could not. Why? Well, because he didn't know the good. Duh. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think it's also called the tree of life. Do you know the good? Hanging on this tree is the will of God, the judgment of God. This is the word of God through whom everything that's anything is made and sustained. This is the way, the truth, the life, and the life. This is literally reality hanging on this tree. This is love, and love is life. This tree is also that tree. This tree is the source of everything. <laughs> so how do you take it? 
Do you take everything as if you deserved it? Or do you receive everything? Do you receive him in everything with thanksgiving? Adam didn't know the good, and so he took the life of the good. We all take the life of the good, and we act as if it's our own. My life, Peter's life. And so we all die. And we're all alone, enslaved to evil. We all take the life of the good and come to know evil. But on the cross, God reveals that what we took has always been given, in fact, forgiven from the foundation of the world. We all take the life of the good and come to know evil, but the good came to give his life and raise us from the dead. When you say, thank you, that's the word of God rising within you. And when you say, thank God, uh, thank you for always and for everything, will you become the perfect image of the invisible God in a perfect reality where you will never, ever be alone? You will know evil, but constantly choose the good in freedom, for you will know that the good constantly chooses you. And you see, that's love. And love is life. It's, it's eternal life. God creates everything, and everything God creates is good. So evil is ultimately nothing. It's like a temporal nothing revealing his eternal something so that we will freely love that something and be that something. And it all happens by speaking a word, Eucharisto. Thank you. How do we speak it? Well, on the night he was delivered up, he took bread and having given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. The life is in the blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, as often as you drink it. Um, I, I do this in re remembrance of, of me. For 2,000 years, Christians have called this the, the Eucharist from Eucharisto, the word that sanctifies all things and makes all things new. Eu is a prefix which means good, and charis means grace. Eucharisto means thank you for some good grace. Everything that's anything is good grace. Eucharisto. It's the word of God having died for you and then rising within you as a thank you, and then spoken by you into the void, making all things new. When you thank God for this tree, what are you thanking him for? While you're thanking him for the most evil thing that ever happened on the face of the earth, this, this is the very definition of evil. But the moment you thank him for this, it's transformed into what? The very definition of good. That in the very place we took his life, he forgave his life, and that's grace. That's God's judgment, grace. 
When you say Eucharisto, you justify God's judgment, in Paul's words. You agree with God's judgment, the judgment of God. It's the judgment of God that creates everything that's anything. When you say Eucharisto and mean it, you become a new creation. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. Behold, writes Paul, all things have become new. Like I said, I don't know that I understand all that. I'm pretty sure I don't. But we don't have to understand it. He told us to do it. And so we invite you to come forward and take one of these funky little COVID communion cups and, and go back to your, to your seat and tear off the top and take a little wafer out. Or if you're watching online, take your bread. This is why I really want you to do this. Take the bread and the, and the wine. And you, you, just, you just take the word, the broken word given to you, and you ingest it into a void. And then you say, thank you. Amen. So thank you, Father, that we are here. Amen. Well, this is kind of the kind of sermon that, in a way, kind of embarrasses me or I'd be embarrassed about because I'm like, well, that's just like too good to be true. But God has given me little blessings, like 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. They're like, no, that's what it says. He's given me the Bible verses banned by Bible-believers. He's also given me some experiences, and particularly one experience. And I realize that while I'm talking, I'm kind of always talking about this experience. And I've shared it with you. Don't sit down. It won't be long. But it's like my Damascus Road experience 25 years ago when, when God literally nailed me to the floor. And... Um, I, I thought I was going to break my arms. And, and it was like a curtain was pulled back, and I just saw everything. I mean, all my space and time. And I saw that God was everywhere loving me, and there was like this current. It was like an electric current. I mean, my whole body was like on fire, and, I, and it expressed itself like a current of love that expressed itself in me through thanksgiving. I mean, I literally could not stop thanking God. Everywhere I looked, I mean, I just couldn't stop. And I, I realized that to try and stop was to just like burn. It was like so powerful. And I wondered, what the heck was that? And you see, I think at that moment, I had become a living sacrifice. <laughs> what was being sacrificed? Peter is salvation. And what was being created? Faith in God is salvation. The faith in Peter is salvation was sacrificed. Faith in God is salvation was being created and it was being expressed as thanksgiving. I, I was dying with him and rising with him and I was so happy I couldn't even, I thought I was going to die. He said I was dying and I was living and then it like kind of wore off over the next few weeks and I was angry. <laughs> like, what the heck? Why did, that, why did that stop? He let me taste it for a few moments and I can't wait for the moment that it becomes every moment. 
But you see, I was just, I think he was just saying to me, Peter, this is, this is real. And I'm giving you time in this world to agree to your own creation. <laughs> to agree to your creation and the creation of all things. And you see, it happens through just a word. Eucharisto, thank you. So, in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel and say thank you. This is Thanksgiving week, so say thank you. Just, just walk around. Squirrel, thank you. Tree, thank you. House, thank you. Uh, wife, thank you. Um, lonely guy, thank you. And, oh, I kind of want to talk to him. Thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, thank God. Amen.